Hello and welcome to today's episode of the Craftsman Creative Podcast. I'm your host, Darren Smith, the author and founder of Craftsman Creative. And my goodness, I'm so excited for today's episode. Uh, It's been a long time coming. I reached out to our guest today, Justin Welsh, months ago, and the dude is so busy and so in demand and deservedly took some time off. And so we've been uh, waiting and waiting and waiting to finally have this conversation. And I'm glad we waited because Sir Justin over here has just crossed over 100,000 followers on Twitter. I think I started following him when he had about eight or 9,000. So this man has been on a tear over the last year. And what he does is he teaches people how to become diversified entrepreneurs. He really speaks to solopreneurs and entrepreneurs and founders and those who are trying to make a living with their online creations, whether it be writing or selling products or starting a business. Today we have a wide-ranging conversation, but we really talk about what Justin calls the creator funnel. It's his way of getting people to notice you, to engage with you, and then ultimately become your customer. And I'm really, really glad we got to deep dive on this. I've listened to Justin on a lot of different podcasts, and we Uh, We dive into some things that I haven't heard him talk about before, so I'm really excited for all of you to be able to listen. Justin has been a friend and an inspiration over the last year and a half. Um, I'm so glad that he's someone I've connected with on Twitter. And for his uh, feedback, his inspiration, the the conversation we had, it's just great. So I'm really excited for you to listen today. (laughs) Now, really quickly, if you haven't yet, head over to craftsmancreative.co and sign up for the free five-day email series about how to navigate and master the creator economy. I wrote this email series for you, and I'm really excited to get it into your inbox. So head over to craftsmancreative.co and you can get that email series for free. And uh, I'm really excited for all the things that it will teach you. So thanks for letting me be on this journey with you. And let's head over to the episode. I've been looking forward to this conversation. I've had, this is about the 12th or so conversation I've had with some of the creators that I look up to that I've met online over the last year as I've tried entering the creator economy in a more meaningful way. And uh, your like rise to prominence over the last year or so, I think (laughs) I was probably following you when you had like eight or 9,000 followers. And to see you go from there to now 125,000 as of today and like your business doing multiple millions of dollars in revenue. There's a lot we can talk about that I think is gonna be super valuable for the audience that listens to this. So I'm excited to dive in with you. Me too. Okay, so why don't we start with mindset, which is somewhere I always like to start because in my opinion, the mindset is 80% of your success as a creator and the strategies, the tactics, the approach you take is the other 20%. So it matters Mm -hmm. a lot more. I wonder first if you agree with that statement, and then I'd love to dive in on like, how do you uh, approach your work from a mindset standpoint? What are some of the principles you live by? What are some of the things that have guided your approach to how you run your business in this creator space? Yeah, I think, I think especially in the earlier parts, like the earliest part of your journey, mindset is critically important. I think it is through some of the the latter stages as well. But I think if you can get your mind in the right place in the beginning, 
it becomes easier to get started. And then it becomes less of what I would call necessarily a mindset thing and more of a momentum thing. So if you can get some traction, like your mind sort of comes along with you. And sure, there are times of ups and downs, but but generally, if you can get momentum, like that helps with your mindset. For me, I had <clears throat> sort of not necessarily what I would call a unique story, but but potentially interesting to some of the listeners as it may be relevant to their story as well, which is for the first seven years of my career, I wasn't very successful. So I had a really bad mindset. Like I wasn't confident. I didn't understand why people worked for a living. I was very lazy. I was immature. I was like that up until the point of being 28 years old. I had been fired in my first three jobs. I had never made a sale. I had never hit quota. I was a salesperson and I was not a very good one at that. Um, but I got a job in New York City. I kind of fudged my resume a little bit. I don't recommend that, but that's what I did. And I ended up as the second sales hire at a company in New York City called ZocDoc. And where this sort of plays into mindset is the culture that was created at that business. It was a business run by four extraordinarily high performance individuals. And they expected incredible work every single minute of every single hour of every single day. And if you didn't do incredible work, you weren't going to last there. And so I immediately had to step my game up. I really liked working there. I liked the performance aspect of that. And to be quite frank, it was almost like a cult, right? You like drank the Kool-Aid. And I did that for five years. And what was instilled in me was this idea that anything can be accomplished with the right work ethic, little bit of luck, good timing, you know, inconsistency and persistence. ZocDoc moved me across the country five different times where I opened new markets in some of the most challenging markets. And suddenly I went from being someone who had no confidence, couldn't succeed, to someone who was like everything I touched was going well at work. And I parlayed that into a chief revenue officer job in another company, so on and so forth. So the, the idea was that it was that taste of success and it was being around those high performance individuals that installed these sort of this sort of mantra in me, which is like, if I'm going to do work and put my name on it, it's going to be really, really good work. And I don't want to put out anything that that is less than what I think is spectacular. And folks might find that to sound arrogant, but that's just how I feel about it. I want to write things that are spectacular. I want to be a guest. I want to be a spectacular guest. I want to record spectacular videos. I want to build spectacular products. And that's been my mindset ever since I got to work with that company. And I'm just really fortunate to have been a part of that business. That's amazing. I did not know that part of your story. So it's cool to hear. I imagine you get dozens, if not hundreds of uh, direct messages and people asking you for, you know, help or advice or things like that in your DMs all day, every day. But I'm curious, like how much of that um, process that you went through, how much of it do you attribute to the pressure of like, this is a high pressure thing I got to put up or shut up or like it get, I'll, I'll be out of a job. And how much was it they actually gave you strategies or processes or frameworks to follow that you were like, okay, I'll just do what they say. It was probably more of the former. And so when I think back about that sort of change in my life, I always think about it as an intersection of different things. The first thing that I talked about is like chance and timing and luck. Like the fact of, of the matter was I was just starting to mature as a person. So at 28, 29 years old, I started to just become a little more mature to want to want to do good work, to want to make a name for myself. That was at the starting point of that. And that just so happened to intersect with a few other things. 
the people that work there were extraordinarily high performance. I just, I've never seen such high performance people at a business before. Um, that's number one. Number two was the city. I moved to New York City from after living in all these small towns, Allentown, Pennsylvania, Toledo, Ohio, St. Clair Shores, Michigan. I had never lived in a big city before. In New York City, like I just fed off that energy. Like there were people running around, everyone was moving so fast. It was so unique and interesting to me. All my friends were making a lot of money in the city. They were going out a lot and I wanted to be able to go and spend time with them. And so there was that pressure a little bit as well. And then the other one was just the fact that it was a product and service that I believed in. And I was excited. Like I didn't want doctors to buy the product because I wanted to make commission. Like, sure, that's nice. I actually thought they should use it. Like I was like, you're you're missing out if you're not using this product. And so like the intersection of all those things just changed my mind. I don't ever feel like I was given particular strategies or tactics. What I liked is that I was given autonomy. Mm. And the auto autonomy that I was given was, hey, we don't know how to open the Boston market or the San Francisco market, so go figure it out. And that to me started this internal brand at work of being Mr. Fix-It. Find the problem, send Justin there, he'll figure out the answer. And I felt proud of that. And I've sort of taken that, I guess, that badge and worn it through, you know, being a creator. So how often do you give people that same advice when they ask you for advice, for help, for you know, pick your brain moments, right? Are you telling them you just need to step it up and surround yourself with high performance people and put yourself in a situation where you have to figure it out? Or what's kind of your go-to answer? Because <laughs> yeah. I'm already seeing this. I just barely am almost at 2000 followers, right? And 2000 people on my email list. I'm just starting to get people randomly from the woodworks reaching out and going, hey, can you help me with this thing? And I'm like, oh, that's new and different. And if that's going to continue... <laughs> Is it enough to be able to say, like, fix your mindset and step it up? Or are you doing, are you giving different advice than that? It's it's part mindset and it's part like, it's also part uncovering new things. So for example, Darren, if I said, hey, um, you have 2000 email subscribers and like, let's put together a plan. Today's, you know, end of June. Let's put together a plan by the beginning of August. You'll have... 4,000 email subscribers. You might go and sit down and, you know, a couple strategies, whiteboard some things out. But if I told you, hey, Darren, I want you to get 4,000 email subscribers by tomorrow, you would probably think about that a lot differently. I bet you would try a lot of things you wouldn't normally try. And I'm not saying they'd all necessarily be great things, but you would try a lot of things with that pressure. And so I often think, I often just sort of challenge people to say, okay, cool. Yeah, great. I want to grow my newsletter to 100,000 like, subscribers. What if I had to do it in a week? What, like, what would I do? Start getting creative, right? You may not actually do those things, but it's a great exercise to put your mind through to say like, damn, what are like 10 things that I could execute all at once? And you start getting really, really creative and then execute those things, but you don't have to do it in a day or a week or a month, but at least you have all these ideas. It's, it's, the process of starting to think like that, that I think is helpful. I think being an optimist, I think saying, hey, there's probably 15 to 20 different ways I can solve this problem. Instead of reaching out to me and saying, hey, Justin, what do you think? I don't know. I'm probably not your customer. I'm probably not part of your audience. Yeah. But if I gave you a pressure-filled situation, what might you do? Start, start flexing that brain muscle. And I think you'll uncover a lot of really interesting and unique opportunities. I love that. And it resonates. I just was at uh, Craft and Commerce this last weekend and Dr. Benjamin Hardy was one of the keynote speakers. And he, what's great is he has a YouTube video of this talk too. 
And it, he talks about how 10x is actually easier than 2x because it focuses you in on the things that will actually move the needle and get you toward that bigger goal. Whereas if you wanted to you know, add 10% more followers or 10% more revenue or even 2x, there's like a million different ways you could do that. And it's this uh, problem where you have too many options. So when you think in terms of 10x or putting a lot of pressure on how would I do this tomorrow or this week, it focuses you on the things that will actually potentially move the needle. So I love that. Very cool. I'll put a link to this in the show notes to that video because it's great as well. So this makes me ask you the want to ask you the question of why 5 million? That's in your Twitter bio. You're the diversified solopreneur, which I get because you're, you've got diversified revenue streams. You're building a portfolio mm-hmm. of one person businesses to 5 million in revenue. Was that a conscious, like, I'm going to set this big goal that I don't know if I can hit? Or is that feel easy to you? I'm curious how that number plays into your mindset and your vision for your business. Yeah. Uh, great question. First of all, and, and you're on the right track. It's, it's a, it's a goal that like, if you would have asked me, uh, three years ago, if I thought I'd be able to achieve, I would say, absolutely not. I still don't know that I could achieve it. I don't need to achieve it. If I made one tenth of that, I'll be just fine. But, uh, but I want to try <laughs> and I want to like, I want to push my business and, and my products and my services and my, my audience. I want to push and I want to see how far I can go and setting this sort of pie in the sky target, right? There's all these cliche statements, aim for the moon and land on the stars or whichever one is further. I can never remember, but um, you know, that's sort of how I think about it, which is like, if I aim for $5 million a year and I land at three and a half, like I, you know, I, I will, be in a situation financially and monetarily that I never could have dreamed of as a, as a young person. And so that's how I think about it. It gives me a North star. Like I have like a through line concept where I'm also, I'm always sort of focusing on this through line of moving forward. And that $5 million is just one of several North stars that I have. Cause I think if you're only monetarily focused, you, you tend to lose sight of some things that are actually really important about being a solopreneur, which is how you spend your time, not necessarily how much money you make, but that is certainly a goal that I've thrown out there. And it's my mantra to try and go hit that. So where in your personal journey, did you choose that number? Cause I, I think it's a recent thing. And I think it came after you had this thread where you said, my business has done 1.2 million in the last like 13 months or something like that. Here's how I did it. Um, did you get the results of that first and then decide on 5 million or was it always 5 million from the get go. And it was only recently that you put it out publicly. No, it was, it was when I started to cross into, it's when I first crossed into seven figures. Like when that happens, there are two different, that's not true. There are three different directions you can go, right? The the first direction that you can go is just South, right? Where you used to make a lot and then you don't do new things. You don't try, you, you blend in and suddenly your business starts to go South, right? There is what I think the second one, which is most common, which is you tend to, f- to fall into a sort of just a normalization pattern where you're doing the same things every day, right? In the same comment, posting at the same place, doing things at the same time. And I think that is the most likely way to probably stay the course. But I think the third option is like reminding yourself that like we talked about earlier, if you put up a big number, your brain starts to think differently. And so what I wanted to make sure I was doing was not normalizing my current job and my current production. I wanted to say like, this is one milestone on a much longer journey. And if I keep focused on that bigger number, on serving more people, 
then I will be forced to make different decisions that bring me out of sort of that normalized rut that I was talking about, if that makes sense. It does. And I love that. I just um, shared this yesterday where it's like we create goals because it creates a tension between our current selves and our future selves. Right. And there, I think there's a sweet spot there where it's like, okay, that's a stretch and it's going to be a challenge, but there's a, a feeling of, I think I can do this if I try really hard and give it everything I've got. And if you go outside of that sweet spot, sweet spot too far, like if someone were to try to copy you and say, oh, I've, you know, I've never made a dollar online, but I'm going to go for a $5 million a year business. It's so far out of the realm of what you think is possible because you don't have the results to back it up. Right. So I've gone through that same process just recently where I'm like, okay, what, what do I want my email subscriber list goal to be? Is it 50,000? Is it 30,000? Is it 10 in what time period? And it's the combination of time and the number and the outcome where you've really got to find that sweet spot of like, oh, that's not just staying the course and, you know, it organically grows by two or three people a day. And at some point I hit 10,000. It's, you know, adding a time uh, aspect to it where you're going, mm -hmm. oh, three months would be really, really hard. Six months, that feels really right. But two years, like, what am I doing? I'm not even trying that hard. So I love that all of this conversation about your high pressure job and your mindset and the way that you've approached this. But I think one thing that's important, at least my takeaway from that is when you get results, you can set bigger goals because mm -hmm. you've proven yourself to yourself that you have a certain level of ability and it's not outside of the realm of possibility to think that you could do twice as much or five times as much or whatever it may be. Exactly. Yeah. I love that. So, all right. What I would love to dive into with the time we have remaining is um, this concept that you have called the creator funnel. And it's so important because it really encapsulates this journey that every customer needs to go through in order to become a customer. First, they have to figure out that you even exist. So there's an awareness aspect. Right. And then there's an engagement aspect where they follow you online, start engaging with your content, join your email list, whatever it may be. And then there's the conversion part. And so I'd love to just kind of get first your, uh, like how you came up with that approach. Where did it come from? And then let's dive into how you do each of those steps, because I think that's going to be super valuable and, and a big takeaway for anyone listening to this of like, oh, I can just do the same thing, apply it to my business and my following and have similar results. Yeah, it, it comes from just being cognizant of how I buy things. So I think there are, there are two things we generally do on social media or in life that we never stop and look at, which I think is, is something I've gotten really good at, which is generally I stop and think, okay, why did I buy something? Like, let's work through the journey of why I selected this product from this, especially when I buy it from somebody versus a faceless company. Like, why did I buy this person's thing? And then I start to try and reverse engineer it. I can talk a little bit uh, more about that. And the other thing that I often look at is like, why did I stop to read this piece of content? People stop and read content and then they keep going and they're like, they never think about why. And like, that's the whole game, right? Is to get attention and get discovered. So if you are cognizant about why you stop, it, it makes it easier. But uh, to, to answer your question, here's how I think about the creator funnel. I think obviously getting discovered People have to know that you exist and they have to know why you exist. What do you exist for? Who do you serve? And that is the top of the creator funnel, which is just getting discovered. And it's basically what it sounds like, right? It's going out and it's creating content that resonates with a particular audience so that they know exactly who you are, who you help and what you help them do. 
And so that is, you know, your LinkedIn, your Twitter content, your Instagram content, whatever your, your, you know, primary and secondary social media channels are. Unfortunately, what most people do after getting discovered is they try and skip the next two steps and go right into selling a product or service. They do it with ads, they do it with email funnels, they try and replicate the next few parts with a drip campaign or a, you know, email nurture. And I just don't think that works very well, at least not on me. So I don't do that. The next thing that I want to do after someone discovers me is I want them to trust me. And when I say trust, I don't mean like the traditional sense of the word. What I mean is trust in my expertise, trust that I know what I'm talking about. And so my trust sort of lever or trigger is my newsletter because yeah, my short form social media content might be quasi entertaining or somewhat educational, but it's really when you get to my newsletter that you get to actually see how I think and operate. Like I, I, I can show off for lack of a better description, right? It's a It's an opportunity to say, look at how much knowledge I have in this very particular subject that because you gave me your email address, I will assume you're interested in. And that is the next phase in the, the creator funnel. You get discovered, you build trust. Oftentimes that's enough, by the way. If you have built significant trust and you have products and services that are easily affordable and easily purchasable, you can often do selling. And that's what I used to do. Um, I've instead started to look at some of the products I bought, especially from folks I've formed relationships with and thought, man, I am so much more likely to pull the trigger when I really like somebody, when I'm interacting with them on a regular basis, they might come out with a product or service I don't need. And I might just buy it just to support them because that's how meaningful relationships are. So to me, the next step is building relationships. And you can do that in a multitude of ways. Uh, the most common way that I see today is a private community of some sort, right? Where you're interacting with folks, but it could just be a weekly um, jam session or an AMA or an event where people are getting to ask a question, where they're interacting with you and they get to see a little bit more of your personality. That's the relationship part. I love a community because it's a captive audience. You bring a thousand people into a community and they're all excited about the topic that you're talking about and you're building relationships. You have a captive audience. So when it comes time to monetize, whether that's a product or service, you can monetize using it. You can sell it. You can also get feedback, get testimonials, build an affiliate program, have an army of people who are saying great things, beta test it, get feedback. Like the, the things that you can do with a community are so powerful. And so to me, it's discovery, trust, relationships, and monetization. There's a lot we could dive in there. So I'm, <laughs> I've been keeping notes. Um, do you, so why did I buy something? Do you think that's something that a lot of people skip that step where they even are asking that question? Yeah, I don't think people are, and, and by the way, I'm, I'm not judging other people. It's just, mm -hmm. I was one of those people for a long time. I bought things or read content or stopped to read something without truly taking the time to say, why did I just do that? It's not common human behavior to ask yourself that question every time you stop to do something because we stop to do a million things a day. But if you are hypercognizant of those things when you do them, you can start to at least reverse engineer the way that you purchase or you stop. Doesn't mean everyone does, but it's a good sort of data point in your building journey. Nice. So I would love to dive into how you built this. Um, did you start with the front end, the discovery part, or did you start with the monetization part? Like, I think um, there's so many different ways that are kind of <laughs> taught as the right way online, like build a product and sell it to people. But if you don't have an audience, how does that work? So I'd love to know a little bit more about how you thought about this process 
Um, and I want to kind of compare it to mine because I think I do too much of like, I'm going to build a whole bunch of stuff and see if something sticks. And Mm. now I'm shifting into more of the audience first approach because I see people like yourself and Daniel Vasallo and Arvid Call and all these people who like have spent a lot of time investing in building an audience first and look how much easier it is to sell a hundred thousand dollars of something. Whereas I'm sitting here with not that I'm complaining by any means, but I've sold like $1,200 worth of my book that launched two months ago, right? So there's a massive difference. I'm curious how you think about or how you even advise people when they're building their own creator funnel. Where do you start? Yeah, it's a really good question. And, and it's it's something that happened organically for me. Um, I didn't set out like with this idea of the funnel. It's It's sort of like grew over time and, you know, it's changed as I've, as I've accrued more attention online, but to me, it's audience first because it solves all the problems, right? Like you can guess on what kind of product or service people want, but if you're wrong, you've already lost number one. Uh, number two, if you're right, you still have to go out and find people that need it and then convince them that you're the person that they should buy it from. And to me, that's really challenging. The easier way, in my opinion, is just to say, um, I'm going to talk about my expertise to people that are generally two to three years behind me on the journey, and I'm not going to be nebulous. It's not going to be long-winded stories. It's not going to be you know, uninteresting observations. It is generally like, you'll look at my content. I try as often as possible to teach or educate. So it's like, want to learn to do one specific thing? Here's exactly how I would do it in 10 steps. And I try and create as much content like that as possible so that people are constantly learning from me constantly feeling like I'm adding value to the topic that they find interesting and I'm getting discovered for the topics that I know something about. Once I've built that audience, everything becomes easier, right? Because building trust is generally long form. It's a newsletter, it's a podcast, it's YouTube videos, whatever. I don't have to think of topics to write about for my newsletter. I have 350,000 social media followers that are constantly telling me what they want to hear about right? Write about this. Tell me more about this. Could you write a guide about this? And it's just like the ideas are so long that they tell me what they want to learn more about. And once I create that content, then they ask me questions. That questions start to develop relationships, right? They might see me on an event and come and ask me that very specific question and I'll give them an answer and that relationship will start to form. And then from monetization, it's the same thing. Like I can literally reach out to 350,000 people or 30,000 email subscribers and say, I'm thinking about building these three products. Which one would you buy? (laughs) Or which one are you interested in, right? And like with a few clicks of a button, I can have 30,000 data points on where to spend my time versus building something nobody wants, which is the worst thing that you can do in my opinion. Mm -hmm. So I want to get a little into the weeds with the creator funnel stuff and see how how you run things. So one thing that I did years ago that is now like a staple of how I do anything in my business is the idea of tracking, uh, Mm -hmm. meaning like paying attention to what's working and what's not. So I can do more of what's working and less of what's not working. My personal example is I was, I was a creator. I'll call it, I'll use that word. I didn't use it at the time, but like I ran a film and video production company for nine years. And at the beginning of that company, I was paying myself about 35,000 a year and at, when I left that company, I think I paid myself $36,000 that year uh, because it failed that year. But like not a lot of progress in almost a decade of time. But the thing that changed was I told myself, I want to figure this thing out. I want to have a life where I'm you know, working as a film producer and writing books and teaching stuff. And like that is what I want my life to be like. 
So I tracked one metric, which was my daily average income. And I knew that if I could get that number to go up, that I'd be fine. If I could get that number to $274, it's like that works out to be $100,000 a year, right? Mm -hmm. So just by tracking that one metric, I doubled my revenue the first year. And then I doubled again the second year and was making six figures. So I'm curious, like with your creator funnel specifically, are there metrics that you're tracking and how, how, where are you doing that? But also are there milestones that you think are important? Like before somebody moves into making a project, should they have a certain number of followers or a certain number of tra- amount of traffic to their website? Are there things like that that you think of, or is it less um, specific than that for you? It's, it's probably somewhere in the middle. Um, being a former sales leader, like, I'm generally used to looking at data and metrics around revenue. Um, I would say, interestingly enough, I probably don't do as good of a job of it as I should. But here's generally how I think about it. To me, let's take a look at sort of the funnel, right? There's discovery. So discovery can be measured in a bunch of different ways. It can be measured by impressions. It can be measured by engagement. It can be measured by comments. It can be measured by profile views. There's a million different ways to measure discovery. I measure those things. I look on a weekly basis, how, you know, what, how many impressions am I getting on LinkedIn? How many impressions am I getting on Twitter? What's my engagement like? And and those things are sort of leading indicators of the fact that you're resonating with, with people. Some, some people call them vanity metrics. I think that's generally what people call them when they're not very good at it. And it it makes them feel better to call it vanity metrics. What it really is, is a data point that you should pay attention to. It's not a vanity metric. And so I look at those things and then I see, okay, of the impressions and the engagement and the comments, how many people looked at a profile of mine, whether it's on Twitter or whether it's on LinkedIn, how many profile visits am I getting? From those profile visits, I will generally check the second mark, which is uh, building trust, which is how many people ended up from one of those two places reading a newsletter issue or a free guide of mine where they're getting to see a little bit more about how my brain works, how I think about certain topics. So I will look at page impressions, unique views on those things. And then generally to move it down into the relationship, I'll say, what is that translating into people joining my private community, right? And where do those people come from? Because the private community is off my website. So if you come to the private community website from my personal website, I can generally see the traffic and the flow of how you got there. And then I'm looking at just, did you buy something? Did you buy a product? Did you buy a service? Did you book a coaching call? And that that creates a really cool funnel that I can track week over week to basically say how many cents or dollars is one impression of my content worth in the end. And then I can start to sort of up and down that that impression as I see fit. And um, that's really how I've made money. It's been really interesting, Darren. Um, it, it all works in the background. I'll write a piece of content in the morning on LinkedIn and Twitter go away for a few hours, come back and have made a few thousand dollars in sales. And then I just track where those come from and that's it. Like I wish it was more complex or complicated than that. Um, but you know, people are going through different stages of the funnel at all different times and it's hard to track all that that's happening, but I think I do an okay job. Yeah. And, and I'm not sitting here uh, as a judge <laughs> saying, oh, you should be definitely be doing more Justin, yeah. because who am I first of all, but like the fact that you do pay attention. You know what the metrics are and that you're doing it at some regular cadence. I tend to do it once a week and I've got a whole spreadsheet built out where I'm just going, here's my 
page views, here's my conversion rate, here's the average order value, and I got a couple metrics. And then I've just started tracking Twitter. I'll put a link to this, but Ev Chapman has a great Notion um, dashboard for your Twitter. So you mm. can track all of those metrics based on the analytics. And yeah, if the numbers are going up, that's great. I want to um, quickly comment on the vanity metric thing. To me, the vanity metric is the follower number. So if that number is going up independent of it affecting the downstream part mm. of the creator funnel, it's a vanity metric. You're growing your numbers, but it's not affecting your business, which is what mm -hmm. matters, right? You're you're saying what I also say for myself. It's like, no, I'm trying to grow on Twitter because whenever I see growth on Twitter, I can directly track it to visitors to my website, signups to my email list, and that translates a week or two later to sales of my book or my courses or whatever it might be. So I think just that minimum level of tracking is something that's important for creators to hear because I think a lot of times creators, pure creators, people that are not like half analytical, half creative, like it seems like you are, it seems like I am, um, they, they try to copy what they see someone successful doing as yep. opposed to this concept you brought up, which is reverse engineering, like actually going in and thinking about, okay, how does that work? How do they get 1.2 million in sales from 13 months of work, right? They just go, oh, I'm just going to copy what Justin does. I'm going to tweet the same type of things. I'm going to engage with the same type of accounts. And then magically revenue happens. <laughs> and that's right. really not how it works. Right. So. It's, it's, it's interesting too, because people forget about the phases. So like, for instance, lots of people will just copy the, the tweet threads that I write and write the exact same ones. And it generally doesn't work. And the reason why is because I have 125,000 Twitter followers. So the things that I write today are more likely to work than if you have 25 followers. And so when I was trying to figure out how to grow on Twitter, I didn't just look at what Sahil Bloom wrote recently or what Dickie Bush wrote or what Nicholas Cole wrote. I went way back in time to find when they had no following. And then I looked to see what was the first, second, third, fourth, fifth piece of content for them that got traction when they were you know, quote unquote, nobody, right? And that's the reverse engineering that you should be doing. Sahil Bloom has 600,000 followers. Everything he writes is going to be popular today. Right. So like, if you copy it, it's not going to work when you have 600 followers. And so I just recommend like doing the diligence and going way back. And then just maybe one note to add to your vanity metric thing. I think one thing that's really interesting is people will say like, this follower count is a vanity metric because, or sometimes, because if it's growing independent of your revenue and your revenue is staying stagnant and your follower count is growing, that potentially could be vanity. But it's also an opportunity. It's also an opportunity to say, okay, a bunch of people are choosing to follow me and they're not buying the product I have now. What do they want to buy, right? And then there's like, Maybe you haven't served them the right thing yet. And to me, that's just always a really cool opportunity. And that's why I try and survey my, my audience on a regular basis to see where their interests lie. Gosh, I love that. That's a great addendum. And it kind of brings us full circle back to mindset and our approach to how we see things, whether it's a vanity metric and you kind of ignore it and slough it off, or if it's an opportunity. It's super cool. All right, Justin, this has been amazing. Thanks for taking the time again. I'd love to know or have you share, like, where would you like people to go check out your stuff? Where can people follow you and engage with you and reach out to you and all those things? Yeah, I'm on Twitter at the Justin Welsh. That's uh, the Justin and Welsh is W-E-L-S-H. I'm on LinkedIn at Justin Welsh. And my website is justinwelsh.me, justinwelsh.me. Pretty simple.
Very cool. Thanks again, man. It's great chatting with you. Awesome. It's great chatting with you as well, Darren. Thanks for having me on, man.